All right. You guys doing okay? All right. Hey, my name is Josh Knight, one of the pastors here on staff at Flourishing Grace. And this morning, we're going to dive into the Gospel of Luke. And so if you brought your Bible, go ahead and pull it out. Luke 17 is where we're going to be. If you didn't bring a Bible, you left your Bible at home, you left it in the car, um, that's okay. There's a Bible actually underneath the seat you are sitting in. So reach down and grab that. You're going to want it, I promise. So reach down and grab that. It's a white Bible. Luke 17 is where we're going to be. And Luke 17, in that white Bible, Luke 17 is on page 511, 511. If you don't own a Bible, you don't have a Bible at your house, you, you don't own one, steal that one. Steal that white one, okay? There's only one string attached. You have to tell a friend that you stole the Bible from church and just, just tell me what they say. Um, tell me how that goes. I just want to know for you. Hey, real quick, before we dive into Luke 17, while you guys are flipping there, I, I want to say a big shout out, a big thank you to every single person in this room um, and all of our volunteers who parked at the remote lot down at the Linguist Mortuary this morning. Yeah, you can, you can cheer for them, absolutely. I said, I said last week I threw out a big challenge. The reality is, is this room is actually quite full this morning, um, and there's, there's a couple open spots in our parking lot. We have, we have way more chairs than we have parking spots, um, and we need people to park down at the Linguist Mortuary and ride the shuttle. Um, and so for those of you who did and made space for, for people in this room, I, I really appreciate that. I just want to say thank you. Let's keep, let's keep that going. Let's, let's make that a part of our culture uh, here at Flourishing Grace. We need to, especially here at the 11 o'clock uh, gathering. All right, Luke 17. I love this story. It's a fascinating story. Uh, we're going to read it together. And if you would, if you would, if you're new, this might be new to you. But if you would, in honor and reverence uh, to the Word of God here at Flourishing Grace, we believe um, that the Word of God, the Bible, holds all authority in every area of our lives. Authority in my marriage, authority in my parenting, authority in my career, in my friends, in, in what I eat and what I drink, what I wear, what I put on, what, what my dreams and plans are for the future. It holds authority in all things in my life. Um, and so in reverence to that, I want to invite you guys if you're able to stand with me um, as we read the word this morning. So let's go ahead and stand. And I'm going to read from Luke 17. We're going to pick it up in verse 11. Luke 17, verse 11. Here we go. On the way to Jerusalem, he, he being Jesus, on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And they went, and as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. All right, we're going to unpack that story together this morning. Um, and I love this story, right? Um, Jesus is traveling on maybe the most common, most well-known road in all of first century Israel. There's a road that runs from the region of Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee, all the way down to Jerusalem. And a part of this road, this road would have gone around uh, Samaria. The people who lived in Samaria were these, were these uh, half-breed Jews. They were looked down upon, cast out. Um, and Jews and Samaritans did not get along. In fact, um, 
there was there was such a great um, such a great disdain for Samaritans. Uh, Jews literally they would not go through Samaria. They would walk all the way around to get down to Jerusalem. They would they would take a longer path. Um, in order to avoid Samaritans. And so part of this road goes across the border of Samaria in the region of Galilee. Um, and so the, at some point along, at this point in the road, um, there's a village. And we don't know which village it is. There's a number of villages there. Um, it doesn't say which village. But at one of those villages, Jesus is walking along this road to Jerusalem. And he enters into a village. And on the outside of that village, as he's walking in, there are ten uh, lepers. Uh, lepers, they have a disease, right? Um, like chickenpox but way, way worse, okay? Uh, leprosy um, is a skin condition. It's, it's this horrible, nasty um, sores all over your skin, all over your body. Um, and they stand there at a distance, the text says, um, at a distance from Jesus, um, and, and they begin to yell at Jesus. Now, this might sound strange, but this is actually a very normal, common thing in first century Israel. For lepers to be outside of a village as you enter in, to be standing outside of the village, and to yell at you from a distance as you enter. They would have done the same thing to somebody who's not Jesus. Uh, any uh, man or woman who would be entering that village would have experienced uh, a similar idea. This idea comes from um, the Old Testament. The Old Testament book of Leviticus, in the law, God gives his people... Um, certain means and methods in order to keep everybody in, in their community um, safe and, and clean. And so he addresses, God addresses this idea of leprosy, this, this contagious skin condition. And so he says this in Leviticus chapter 13, verse uh, 45 and 46. He says it this way. It'll be up here on the screens for you. Um, now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare. He shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean. All the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean. In case you didn't get that the first five times. He is unclean. And he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Okay? So when someone comes down with leprosy, um, they pack up their stuff and they move outside of the village. They leave their family, they leave their friends, they leave their careers, they leave everything they have. They move outside of the city. They're basic, it's basically like a homeless community, uh, but worse than that, it's a homeless community for people who have a contagious disease. And so they must always remain at a distance. They're not allowed to draw near to anyone, and they must give a warning, right? You see them coming. They got torn up clothes. They got no uh, covering over their head. They cover their face, unclean, unclean. Everywhere they go, they are marked from that day until the day that the, the, disease, the, the disease leaves them, um, which there is no really no cure, but over time, right, it heals itself. But no telling how long, could be months, could be years when the disease leaves them. Uh, until that time, they must be defined, be defined by one single word, and that word is unclean. Everywhere they go, they're marked. They're known. People see them from a distance. I am unclean. You must tell everybody that you see, people who used to be your friends, people who you used to respect and who used to respect you, you now stand with your face covered saying, I am unclean, I am unclean. And that's what happens to Jesus. Jesus is entering in this village. The lepers are on the outside of the village standing at a distance. And they say, unclean, unclean. And then one of them says, wait a second. I know him. That's the guy. 
That's the one. That's the one who's going around. That's the rabbi. That's Jesus. He's been going around. He's been healing people of all kinds of diseases. All kinds of diseases. In fact, he's healed leprosy. I've heard the stories. He's, he's healed it. And so suddenly, they begin to shout, Jesus, have mercy on us. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And then Jesus' response is also interesting. He says, go show yourselves to the priest. That's a little weird, right? Why doesn't he just heal them? Why doesn't he say, okay, fine, you're clean? No, he says, go show yourselves to the priest. This idea also comes out of Leviticus um, chapter 13, that same passage that we read earlier. If you read the whole chapter, um, it's the priest's job to determine whether or not someone with this condition is clean or not. Right? So if you live in first century Israel and you suddenly start itching and you're like, wait, what is that? Um, you don't go to the doctor. You go to the priest. You go to the priest and you're like, hey, what is this? Um, and it's the priest's job to determine kind of your condition. Right? And the priest is like, oh, you know what? That looks more like athlete's foot. Just, you know, wash it. Put a little ointment on it. You're fine. Go home. You just, just come back in a week. Let me see how it is. Right? Or he's like, oh, okay. Hold up. I know what that is. It's time for you to go, right? Time for you to leave the village. Go outside. We'll bring your stuff to you. Like, you, you no, no longer can you be in the temple. No longer can you be in the synagogue. No longer are you allowed to worship. No longer are you allowed to uh, be with your family or your friends. You live outside of the community now. You are outcast. You are unclean, the priest would say. You are unclean. And so Jesus says to these ten uh, lepers, he says, go show yourselves to the priest. And instantly, immediately, all ten of them go, turn, and they go to the priest. They, they go into the village, and they begin to go to the priest, which is interesting because what it shows is that all ten, all ten of these uh, lepers, um, in some way, shape, or form, believe that Jesus can actually heal them, right? Because this is not normal. This is not okay, right? It's not okay. They still have sores on their body. They're not allowed to go into the village. They're not allowed to go into the synagogue, and they're certainly not allowed to go to the priest, but they believe that somehow, shape, or form, Jesus has something greater for them. Jesus has something better for their lives. He, he has a cure for what they need. And so in obedience, they just, they just go. And on the way, Luke writes, on the way, they are cleansed. As they're walking, on the way, suddenly their skin miraculously just clears up and it all goes away. And it not, not, just, not just, oh, I think it's gone. No, it's gone. It is cleansed. And one, one who is healed, one of these um, lepers, a guy, a Samaritan, turns back and goes back to Jesus. And he comes back to Jesus, and he, and he goes all the way to Jesus' feet, and he, he's declaring, praise be to God. And he says, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for, 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 for healing this condition of my skin. Praise be to God for this. And Jesus responds. He says, wait, hold up. Where were there not ten? Where are the other nine? Why is only this one... And the one, by the way, is a Samaritan, which tells us the others were Jews. Why is only this one here? Why only does the Samaritan come back and say thank you? Why does only the Samaritan come back and give praise to God? Where are the other nine? You see, often when people read this passage of Scripture, the, the question comes to your mind, is, well, what, why didn't the other nine go back? What's wrong with them? What's wrong with the other nine? 
I actually don't think that's the right question. In fact, I think that the other nine actually makes a lot of sense. I can sympathize with the other nine. You just got to put yourself in their shoes for just one, one second, and, and you understand why they didn't go back, right? You, you think about it for a second. For, for months, maybe years, they've been living outside of the village, um, eating whatever is brought to them, whatever maybe a kind person in their family might, have, might be able to scrounge up or, 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 or bring to them. Um, they, they haven't been able to hold down a job, and so guess what? Their family is suffering from not being able to hold down that job. They haven't been able to hold their children for, for who knows how long. They haven't been able to, to hold their spouse for who knows how long. They haven't been able to, to worship their God in their community for who knows how long. They haven't been able to hang out with their friends for who knows how long. And so you, I, you know exactly what happened to the other nine. You know exactly where they are. One guy for sure is holding his baby girl for the first time in maybe years. One guy for sure is going back to his boss and saying, hey, can I get that job back? I got to put some food on the table for my family. One guy for sure is saying, I mean, I got to go to my friends. We got to celebrate. This is amazing. I am clean. The priest said, I'm clean. We got to party. Let's kill the fattened calf. Let's bust out the best wine. Let's, let's, let's put on the party for the village. Like, we got to celebrate. This is amazing. You know where the other nine are? The reality is, if we're honest, the nine are where most of us would be. Holding my wife, my boys, hanging out my friends, sitting down at my own table, eating my favorite meal that I haven't been able to have in the comfort of my own home. And nobody doesn't, nobody likes being away from home for very long. You, you love going home and sleeping in your own bed. It's amazing. The real question is, why does the one come back? What's his problem? What's his deal? You see, most people, when they preach this text or when they look at this text, they say, well, he was more thankful. I don't think that's true. I think they're all thankful. I think all 10 of these lepers are super thankful. Who wouldn't? It's not human to not be thankful. Who wouldn't be thankful? You're like, my God, I'm supernaturally cleansed. I can go back and I can enjoy real life again. Who, who's not thankful for that? This morning, I'm going to make the case that the reason why the one goes back and the other nine don't is not necessarily because he was more thankful, but because he valued and treasured and adored the giver of the gift more than the gift itself. The reason why the one goes back is because he treasures Christ more than he treasures being clean. Ten years ago, um, I got down on one knee um, under a waterfall. Fellas, I don't know what you got, but I got a waterfall. All right? <laughs> Just saying. Waterfall. Got down on one knee under a waterfall, and I proposed to my wife, Desiree. I said, Desiree, would you marry me? I opened a box, and there was a, a beautiful diamond ring inside, and, and Desiree um, looked at me, and she looked down at that ring, and she pulled it out of the box, and she put it on her finger. She said, this, this is amazing. This is the best thing ever. Listen, I, 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 I got to go, go show my friends. Like, this is the coolest thing. Oh, my gosh. Like, my mom is going to be blown away by this. Like, I can't imagine. Like, oh, my gosh. You guys, look at this. I got to call my friend. I got to call Rebecca. Becca, Rebecca, listen. You won't believe what I got. I got a ring. It's an amazing ring. It's the best. Oh, my gosh. It's so shiny and sparkly. You've got to see it. Yeah, I'm going to come over right now. I'm coming, I'm coming to your place. Hang on one second. I just got to say something to Josh real quick. No, that's not how that went down. 
That's not how that went down. And I hope, I hope that that didn't go down that way for you either, right? This is what went down. She looks at the ring. Doesn't touch it. Just in the box. Looks at the ring. And looks right back at me. And her gaze does not move from me. And she says, yes, yes, I will spend the rest of my life with you. I'll give the rest of my days to being your wife. I'll draw near to you. I'll forgive you in the darkest hours. I'll celebrate with you in the most wonderful times. Her eyes went from me to the ring and straight back to me. And they locked on me and they stayed on me because she loved the giver of the gift far more than the gift itself. And I can say with certainty, today, today, um, my wife Desiree would happily exchange that ring for me. In an instant, in a moment, if it came down to it, she had to make a choice between that ring or me. That ring holds no value to her in comparison to me. The ring is valuable. It's expensive. Listen, I starved myself. I ate ramen all through college. I spent my life savings on this stinking thing, okay? It's valuable. But when it comes to me and her heart and her mind, there's no value there. She loves and treasures and adores the giver far more than the gift. This is what distinguishes the one leper from the other nine. He comes back to draw near to the giver. You see, at the beginning of the story, the lepers, as I said, they had to stand at a distance. They weren't allowed to draw near. They had to stand there unclean, unclean. They were separated. There was a separation that existed from, between them and Jesus. They were not allowed to be near him. Friends, in this story, you and I, we are the lepers. I'm the leper. For you and for me, there is a separation that exists, a gap, a chasm that exists between you and the God of all things, between you and Christ and you cannot bridge that gap because you are unclean. This is the reality of every human being who has ever been born, who has ever lived. We are unclean. We've been de declared unclean almost since the beginning of time, almost since the beginning of humanity. When Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, humanity was cursed in that moment and has been rebelling against God ever, ever since. Choosing our own way, choosing our own satisfaction, our own delight, loving ourselves more than the giver of the gift. Constantly longing for more gifts. Isaiah puts it this way in Isaiah verse 59, chapter 59, verse 2. It'll be up here on the screens for you. Isaiah 59, 2, he says this. But your iniquities, your failures, your rejection of God, your rebellion towards him, your shortcomings, your failures, your stumbling, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear we are separated from God. He does not hear because of our iniquities and our sins. He has have separated us from him. Paul writes about it in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2.12 will also be up here on the screen. So this way, remember that you were at that time. He's writing to uh, non-Jews, Gentiles, which is you, you and me, by the way. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Separated, alienated, strangers, no hope and no God. This is the condition 
of humanity. We are separated from God. We're strangers to him. We cannot, we literally cannot know him. We cannot know him. We are strangers. We are alienated. We're far off. We stand at a distance. We walk around and we must declare with our lips and with our minds that we are unclean. We're unclean. I stand at a distance from God. I say, I am unclean, unclean, unclean. Now, some of you in the room say, Josh, no, 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 you don't understand. That's not true. That's not me, Josh. That's not me. Listen, you got to meet my neighbor. That dude's unclean. You got to meet my brother-in-law. That guy needs to get his life together. You, you, you need to meet my, this guy at my work or this girl at my work, this employee of mine. Like they, their life is a wreck, man. Like, listen, I, 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 gotta, I love my spouse. I've got a good career. I do all the right things. I wear nice clothes. I come, I show up to church. I pray. I read my Bible. I do all the right things, Josh. Listen, look at this guy. None of that. You see, you, you have the wrong measuring stick. Sure, I can find a good measuring stick and say, well, yeah, I'm better than that. All day long, that's easy. But the measuring stick is not your neighbor or your in-law or your coworker. The measuring stick is Christ alone. The measuring stick is Christ. And you've got to be able to say, yeah, I could, I could stand before the God of all things in heaven right now. I could stand before the holy, blameless, almighty, righteous, perfect God and say, I'm just like you. I'm just like you. Can you say that? You can't say that. On your best day, you can't say that. On your best day, when you are clean, you freshly showered, you got your nicest clothes on, and you, you got up early, and you prayed, and you read your Bible, and you're passing out candy to kids on your way to work, and you're helping people across the street, right? And you're just, like, you're just like ticking it off the list, straight A's, right? You're giving all the right money to all the right places, you're doing all the right things. You, on your best day, you can't say that. Isaiah goes on, he says, our most righteous acts are as filthy rags before him. Yet you, can, you can understand how broken your neighbor is, but you can't understand how perfect and blameless God is. He is holy, pure, unbroken in every way. And you can't say that. You can't be that. That's not who you are. You and I, we are unclean, unclean. It has been declared by the God of all things that you and I are unclean. And so we stand at a distance and we say, Jesus, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. That same passage, Ephesians 2, 12, I'm going to read it again for us. It reads this way. Remember... Again, this is Jews and Gentiles. You are not Jewish. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now here it is, verse 13. Okay, you ready for this? Best word in the Bible. The greatest word in all the Bible. Here it is, verse 13. But now. But now, in Christ, you. If you are in Christ, and I just got to explain real quick what that means. If you have given your entirety of your life to Christ, you have a relationship with him. You know him. He is in you, and you are in him. 
He is the chief of all things in your life. You've submitted in all areas of your life to him, and you are in Christ. If that is you, what comes next is true of you. In Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, he, Jesus, he himself is our peace who has made us both one, Jews and Gentiles, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the, what's the word? The cross, thereby killing hostility. You see, you stood before God unclean, an almighty, holy, blameless God, and the punishment for your rebellion towards him was hostility, was violence, was death. The punishment for sin is death. Christ broke that down. How did he break that down? How did he create reconciliation? How did he break down that dividing wall of hostility? By the cross. You must understand that. You must hear that. By the cross alone. No other act, no other time, no other moment, no other deed. The cross of Christ has broken down that dividing wall of hostility for those who are in Christ. In just a couple weeks on Good Friday, Good Friday, 6.30 p.m., we're going to gather in this room. And we're going to focus all of our attention and all of our souls on that cross of Christ. We're going to sit in the room and we're going to meditate on joy and sorrow, beauty and ugliness coming together in this unbelievable moment where Christ says, I can fix that. There's no priest, there's no prophet, there's no king who can tell you you are unclean. It doesn't exist. There's no deed you can do to find cleanliness. Christ alone can bring it. The God of all things says, I can step in. I will give my own life. I'll become just like you. I'll become human. I'll put on flesh. I will will take the punishment for you. I'll take the hostility for you. I will bear the weight of the wrath of God for you. And I'll bear it on the cross so that you might be clean. Friends, I get the other nine. Been in ministry for 12 years now. I see people all the time. They come to church. They come to faith. They come to religion. They say, man, my marriage is unclean. My kids are unclean. My job is unclean. My finances are unclean. I need cleanliness. They come to Flourishing Grace, and they, they feel good, and they, they get wisdom, and, um, and they, they go back out, and they say, I can fix my marriage. I can fix my kids. I can fix my career. I can fix my, my, my finances, or whatever it might be, my addiction, my problem, and they miss it. Those are just symptoms of the disease. The disease is the curse of sin, and you cannot fix it. Christ alone fixes it. Christ alone, when we draw near to him, and this is the beauty of the story, in the beginning, the man with, with leprosy stands at a distance from Christ, but at the end, he runs all the way up to Christ, at, grabs his feet and says, praise be to God. This is our story for those of us who are made new in Christ, who are cleansed and washed by the blood of the Lamb. 
we can now draw near. There's no longer a separation between us and cross. And that's what we're all about here at Flourishing Grace, leading people into flourishing relationships with Jesus. I want you to see this morning that the cross has made that available to you. But you got to turn back. you got to look at the gift and look straight back at the giver of the gift. You have to treasure the giver more than the gift. Treasure the giver more than the gift of marriage. Treasure the, giver, the gift uh, more than the gift of your kids. Treasure the giver more than the gift of your grandkids. Treasure the giver more than the gift of your career. Treasure the giver of the gift more than your home or your, your comfort. Treasure the giver of the gift more than anything in your life. We pursue Christ first at all cost. He's everything. There's nothing else. There's no one else. There's nothing more than that. It's all Christ. This morning, we get to celebrate baptisms together. Baptisms here at Flourishing Grace, and for those of you who don't know, maybe don't understand, um, baptisms are a moment where we say, man, I treasure the giver. More than anything else in my life, I treasure the giver. I want to know the giver. I want to cling to the giver. I want to, I want to love the giver. I want to adore the giver. I want to be near the giver. I want to identify with the giver in his death, just like the cross. My sins were nailed to him on that cross. And so we go under the water, we're buried with Christ. You stay there, you die. It's death. We raise to new life and there's oxygen and air and we can breathe once more. And so the people who you're about to meet in just a few minutes are people who have said, man, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to have a flourishing relationship with him. I want to be clean. And he's the only one that's going to make me clean. I give up. I give up trying. I give up trying to be this perfect person that I know I'm not. On the outside, I can create the picture. I can create the facade. But inside, I know still I'm clean. And so I'm moving towards Jesus. I'm giving him my life. And I'm trusting him to make me clean. Let me pray. Jesus, this morning we come before you. And I pray in this room, in this room this morning, that there will be transformed lives. That people would be hearing this for the first time and that they would be saying for the first time in their lives, I think the giver's so much better. Christ alone is holy. Christ alone is blameless. No, no other man, no, no other woman, no other point in time or person, Christ alone is the only way to God. And so let us give our lives to the giver of the gift. Let us cling to the giver of the gift. Let us know the giver of the gift. Christ, I submit my whole life to you, every area, because you're far better. Far better than my marriage, far better than my, my, my boys, far better than my community, my friends, even far better than my church. You are the ruler of all things. Don't let me cling to any area. Don't let me cling to anything, any idea, any hope. Let me cling to you alone. Praise you. Praise you in your name. Amen.